Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as the action or fact of complying with a wish or command. This is the Compliance Guy. The Compliance Guy. As a healthcare provider or healthcare professional, navigating the muddy waters of compliance can get tricky. And that's why we're here. Helping you mitigate risk while increasing your profitability. This is the Compliance Guy. Now, here's your host, Sean Weiss. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Dose on The Compliance Guy. Today is Monday, August 29th in the great year 2022. And as always, I want to begin by saying thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while as I get to talk about compliance. So today, I want to take on the 2022 False Claims Act penalties. And the reason why is over the last week, I've had several conversations with folks asking why were the penalties increasing? And one person who had recognized that the penalties increased from December of 2021 increased six months later in the month of May. So the government updated the Civil False Claims Act penalties basically to account for inflation. And as you know, the inflation rate during the month of June was 8.9%, and then in the month of July was 8.5%. So we are in a state of hyperinflation, which means when the government is dealing with inflationary issues, it's automatically going to trickle down into the amounts tied to penalties. So now, for violations that occur after May 9th of 2022 under the False Claims Act, the penalties are going to range from $12,537 up to $25,076. Now, a little bit later on, I'll address Railroad Retirement and the Commerce Department because they updated their range of penalties in January. So as I said, this adjustment that took place in May came just six months after the last adjustment in December of 2021. Now remember, the False Claims Act penalties, they are separate. And they are mandatory for each separate violation of the law. Remember, as I said, these penalties are tied to inflation. So they could change each year by either going up or they could decrease. But the thing to keep in mind is that based on the fact that they are mandatory for each separate violation and that they are tied to the inflationary rate, penalties 
can range anywhere from the hundreds of thousands of dollars all the way up to the tens of millions of dollars. But lawyers who represent whistleblowers sometimes make the mistake to think that the False Claims Act limits the civil penalty amount to $10,000 per violation. So they they wind up ignoring the possibility of penalties when they are actually valuing a case. Remember that penalties are highly likely in every single False Claims Act case. So what is the False Claims Act penalty, right? So under 31 U.S.C. subsection 3729, the act provides that anyone who violates the law is liable to the government for a civil penalty of not less than 5000 and not more than 10000 On top of that, they get to assess treble damages, which is three times the amount of the actual damages. So the way it works is that the False Claims Act imposes penalties, as I said before, on each and every single violation of the statute. So if we look historically, the law in 1986 is where the penalties were first set in that range of 5,000 to 10,000 per violation. And then in 1999, Congress increased the penalties to a range of 5,500 to 11,000. Then inflation adjustments in 2015 caused the law to be amended again. To the point where these federal agencies are the ones who are actually responsible to ensure that they are updating the penalties on an annual basis. So, again, our ranges for any violations after May 9 of 2022, the penalties range between 12537 all the way up to $25,076 for each claim. So currently, under the FCA, there are seven possible violations that could exist. The first, obviously, is false claims, right? Which is if you present or cause to be presented a claim that is false for payment. The second are false records or statements. So making, using, or causing others to make or use a false record or statement that is what is considered to be material to a false or fraudulent claim. The third is conspiracy. You hear this a lot. Conspiring to violate the False Claims Act. Conversion. This is failing to return government property. So 
As an example, under the Affordable Care Act, ACCA, which was put into place in 2010, if a practice receives remunerations from a federal payer program to which you are not entitled or you are overpaid, you have an obligation to return that money within 60 days of confirming the overpayment. False receipts. This is making or delivering a receipt of government property without completely knowing that the information in it is true. Uh, number six is the unlawful purchase of government property, right? So if you buy public property from a government employee who does not have the legal authority to sell it, it's a problem. And the last one, to me, is so important. This is number seven. This is the reverse false claims. This is where you are making, using, or causing to be made or used a false record or statement that's material to an obligation to pay money to the government or concealing, avoiding, or decreasing an obligation to pay money to the government. So again, that ties into ACA and the 60-day rule. So don't, don't sit back on these things and think that you can put a credit balance on your account and if somebody knocks on the door, then we refund it. It doesn't work that way. That's why there are penalties up to treble damages added onto any of these that we just talked about. So I quickly want to talk about whistleblowers just for a moment, right? Because they're always, well, not always, but in a lot of cases tied to FCAs. And in the past year, more than $5 billion worth of settlements and judgments were attributed to healthcare fraud of the total $5.6 billion the federal government reported all KETAM cases. So in healthcare, a KETAM relator is someone who files substantial proof of a direct contact or entity committing fraud, such as an employer, a partner in a firm, corresponding facilities, or other healthcare entities. But remember, there are a KETAM relayer in healthcare is someone who files substantial proof of a direct contact or entity committing fraud. It could be an employer, a partner, a facility. Remember, there are no specific roles that act as a KETAM relayer in healthcare settings. It can be any relevant individual, including patients nurses, doctors. So in all cases, the relayer will provide substantial documentation of proof in order to be able to file a case. And then depending on the complexity of the case, a whistleblower can serve a different level of involvement ranging from no involvement if the government chooses to solely proceed in the case to 
adequate involvement. And again, under seal, a relayer is protected until the later stages when it becomes public. But there are certain circumstances where a relayer may be able to remain anonymous. So, fun fact for all of you. Kitam means in the name of the king. So we're going old world on this thing, right? And it is the shortened term for a Latin phrase, which is Kitam pro domino reggae quam pro se ipso in hoc parte sequerta which roughly translates to he who sues in this matter does so on behalf of the king as well as himself. So in wrapping this thing up, some examples of some key TAM lawsuits include things such as overcharging for goods or services, defrauding the Medicaid program, committing Medicare fraud, tax fraud, these are all things that get people to blow the whistle. So hopefully this episode has helped you to understand a little bit more about the False Claims Act penalties and why they increase and how inflation is tied to it, as well as really what is a Ketam lawsuit. All right, so that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of The Daily Dose on The Compliance Guy. As always, thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while. We'll be back tomorrow on Tuesday, the 30th of August, with our hashtag Terry Tuesday episode. You're not going to want to miss that one. So until tomorrow, be good to yourself, but more importantly, y'all be good to each other. You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the vice president of compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy. <laughs>